Well, I guess we're about ready to rock and roll again. So if you would open your Bibles to Genesis, second chapter and a 23rd verse. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. We've been studying the divine institutions. There are four of them, the first one being volition. And we can, uh, we're studying these because th this is, uh, these are the focal points of attack today by the enemy who is Satan and his forces. These are, these are exactly where, where he is attacking. So we need to go back through these from time to time and review what God has established as divine, divinely established as institutions. And so that's what we're looking at. And we've been through volition. Obviously, we haven't done an exhaustive study on it in spite of the fact it was pretty detailed. But one of the big attack is that nobody's accountable for any of their decisions. And that's what he's trying to get the world to believe. We're all just a product of our environment. And therefore, our environment is to blame, not us, when we make bad decisions decisions and all the things that go along with that. The second one is marriage. It's, uh, uh, it's under attack like never before in the history of the world. And uh, we're supposed to be the leader in the United States of, of establishing, uh, of, of living good, good relationships. We should. And I know sometimes they don't work out. They just don't work out, and that's the way, that's the way it is. The Lord knew that. He provided for it even under the Mosaic Law, which has very strict rules and, and uh, penalties and issues that go along with it. But it is under attack because outside of the ability to choose is the establishment of husband and wife, one man, one woman as a marriage. Now, that's what is established divinely. That's the way God set it up. That's the way he did it. And so we need to see, and we go back to Genesis 2 to find this. Where did he do the first marriage? And this, to me, I don't know if you've enjoyed the study. I've enjoyed the study. I've been taught it, I don't know how many times. But going through this again just reaffirms the fact that God has established one man, one woman for marriage, and that's the way it is designed. So before we begin, because this is God's word, and God's word is only understood in a spiritual sense, takes spiritual uh, activity in your part to understand the revealing of the Holy Spirit, let's get ourselves aligned, present ourselves in front of the throne of grace, find grace and mercy to help in time of need. We need this information. We need to be reaffirmed in this information. But, and why? Why? What if you're not married? What if you, do you need this? If We need it because we need to uh, be able to identify the evil that is going on in our nation and around the world. We need to know, thus saith the Lord. And here the, the Lord is saith-ing, if you will. So let's take this time, prepare ourselves for the study of the word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for your blessings, for your test. We thank you for your opportunities. Father, thank you for the privilege of being living in, of living in this time in which you have placed us. Father, we are absolutely amazed at what is going on. We're seeing things come to, to what looks to be a close all around the world and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that whenever the trumpet sounds, 
that we will be uh, found doing the things that are pleasing in your eyes. Father, we would like to do that so we could hear the well done, good and faithful servant. So, Father, we pray that you would edify us, exhort us, encourage us, and challenge us by your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at Genesis 2.23. Now, we started uh, doing this along about 2.15, Yahweh Elohim said, It's not, not good for the man to be in his aloneness. He said, I will make him a helper, suitable for him, his opposite, something different. And out of the ground that Yahweh Elohim formed every, had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called a living soul, that was its name, a living creature. Nephish basically means alive, drawing breath. That's the basic root behind it. It says, And the man gave names to every domestic animal, and to the birds of the heavens, to the beast of the field. For Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in that place and Yahweh Elohim built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and he brought her to the man here you see the first wedding ceremony beautiful wedding ceremony here's what you see usually when I do wedding ceremonies there's a reference back to the garden of Eden and the fact that the Lord brought the woman to the man and it was a it was a divine design that's what it was for now this is going to be the first of three lessons that will include three verses that'll be titled cling to your wife it's very clear what it's about the verse 23 is going to be about respond Responding to your wife, what the Lord has done. The second one is going to be about rearranging your life for what the Lord has done. And the last one, verse 25, is going to be relate to one another. So we're going to see to respond, to rearrange, and relate. And that's, that's how God has designed the marriage relationship. Now, verse 23 says, And the man said... Now, this is the first recorded words of Adam. Okay, so what, what did the man say? What was the first thing out of his mouth? They'd already named the animals. We know that it already happened. So here comes a horse, and he goes, Seuss. Two of them, Seussim. He goes, okay, two horses. Okay, I got that one. Camel, Gimel. Gimelim, two camels. Okay, so he's seen these things, and he, is, he has named them. But he says, here it comes, and he's, he, this, here's this woman standing in front of him. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones. Now, that's the English, and it doesn't grab the Hebrew hardly at all. It says literally this, and it is the, the feminine singular adjective zoth, Z-O-T-H. And it says this, this woman, because it's feminine, referring to this creature standing in front of him. And the word is now, bone of my bones. I don't know why they did it this way, but the word is hapa'am. Now, the ha on the front of it is a definite article, the. Pa'am is a word that means time. What? This is the time, literally, is what it says. And you go, well, wait, wait. This is a little bit weird. It, it's a word used 118 times, and this is the first usage of the word. 
And it's a word that means the tread of the foot. The tread of the foot, and then it means footstep, and then it comes to mean time, because over time you take various footsteps. So it's kind of the derivation of how this, how this, uh, what this word means. And it ba basically says, this is the time. Uh, in other words, she's the real deal. Okay? This is the best. Now, he's recognizing what God has provided for him. And then it says, bone of my bones. It starts, uh, this is the time. Exclamation point. Okay? Bone of my bones. This is the word etsum, which is the word for bones used 126 times, first usage of it. It's a reference to the skeletal structure found underneath the skin. So see, Adam is not a, a dumbbell caveman trying to figure out how to start a fire He's and invent a wheel. He's not doing it. Adam is made with the maturity to him to be able to name things and to recognize stuff he knows from his own body already. There are bones underneath this flesh. So he says, bone of my bone. And where, where did she come from? His rib. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is the skeletal covering. So he says, there's bones on the inside of her like me. See, this is helping him identify her, right? Just like me, because there are differences. Okay? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, Adam is admiring the way that she's got her bones covered. That's just what's going on here. I'm just a reporter. Okay? I don't know if the Puritans could even talk about stuff like this, but, you know, when the Bible says it, it's important, so we need to deal with it. It says, she shall be called woman. Now, Adam sees getting in the swing of things, right? Because <laughs> all these animals came by, and he gives them a name. And he looks at her and goes, I guess I'm supposed to name her too. So he names her Isha, because the explanatory key that's here she was taken out of man now man cannot fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply by himself so there had to be a female counterpart there had to be a female counterpart because we go all the way back to chapter one what's the first command be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is what they're supposed to do that's revealed to us for God, this operation would not take a long time. And can you imagine them trying to put you out right now, guys, and take a rib out? Well, they could do it pretty easy. All they need is a bone saw and some anesthesia and all that, and they put you out. I don't think the sleep that we would be in, though, would keep us asleep without an anesthesia of some kind. But they take, take it out, and then it's like this, this uh, incision is healed. Okay. How long did it take God to build a woman? This is all recorded on the sixth day. When God gets ready to do something, it just doesn't take long to do it. Because he knows exactly what he's doing. He is perfect in gentleness. Meaning that he has the power and the delicacy to be able to do very fine things with the power that created the universe. Now, that's what gentle is, power under control. And he says, you know, six weeks recuperation time, 
She's not going to need it. It takes six weeks, Dr. Muller said one time, if you cut your finger, it's going to take six weeks to heal. How long does it take to heal from a surgery? Six weeks anyway, just to get started. It's going to take six weeks to heal. It didn't take her six weeks. Didn't take Adam six weeks. When the, when the divine surgeon does things, here's the principle out of that, if this thing will work. God's surgery can be quick, perfect, and painless. Now, occasionally, he does surgery on souls. And see, that's, that's what the great physician does. Occasionally, we can have a really, really bad attitude and maybe more than occasionally but he does a surgery on a soul and it can get it can be the the, the human viewpoint removed it's called the circumcision of the of the 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 soul and it could be removed it could be done away with and the healing can be almost instant sometimes when people come to know the lord they've had a real life of of everything you can imagine and they come to know the lord and he does a surgery and then you know, when, when they become a believer, they've got the opportunity to let that surgery work fast. But most of us are not that smart to let it go ahead and do that. But when the Lord does surgery, it can be quick, it'll be perfect, and it'll be painless. That's the way he does things. Now, Adam looks with awe at her construction and her covering. Okay? He's awestruck by what he sees. Now, the old sin nature will take this today and do all kinds of things with it, as we know. But when Adam sees Eve, when Ish first meets Isha, all he sees is a glowing beauty that is the handiwork of God's design. Now, see, this is the, the man and the woman in the garden. So what principles are we learning from that? First of all, he recognizes what the Lord has done. See, the Lord's the one that put this woman together, this Isha. And he recognizes what the Lord has done. And he sees the construction project. Thought about that, you know, you've seen maybe built a house or built a shed or built a doghouse or whatever it is. And you start with nothing. And as it comes together and you get it done, you go, hey, that's pretty good. Or we need to start again. Now, the Lord, when he does things, Adam sees the construction project that the Lord has done. And say, so you can do that with anything God has made. Anything God has made and put together, you can see the design in it. You can see the beauty in it, even the platypus, you know, which people have laughed about for centuries. It's just, you know, the animal with spare parts left over from everything else went together to form the platypus but you can see God's design in what he has what he has built you have to be awake though and not self-absorbed to see his hand because if we are wrapped up in ourselves alone we're not going to see what he has done but Adam recognizes what the Lord has done and the principle for us is look at the Lord's work. Look for it. Look for what he has done. We look for what he has done in nature. 
We see amazing things. We see the heavens laid out so beautifully. We see that, that there is a design, that there is a plan to the heavens. And that's just kind of the start. If you're in an agricultural economy and living outdoors, you get to watch it every night. And you get to watch it and you're laying there looking up at the stars and going, these things are moving. Uh, and there's one star up there. It's not moving. And everything else is moving out around it. And then you sit, lay there for a year or two or 930, like Adam did. And what you see is an amazing pattern of the way that the constellations go through the sky and come back to the same, to the same place. And then you start realizing seasons are connected to these. You have an amazing design that God has made. And what about the animals? What about the plants? What about the trees? Look at the design of a simple flower and the construction that goes into that. But you have to, they used to say, stop and smell the roses. You need to stop and look at them. Look at them and see what he has done, even in a weed. Have you thought about the weeds? You look at the weed and go, thank you, Adam. I really appreciate this. But you also, we love those little ones with the white heads on them, the dandelions. When we were kids, because we'd take them and blow them off. And our parents would go, don't do that, because it makes more. We had a neighbor lady, she went and picked the heads off all of them. Never did get rid of the dandelions in the yard. But look for what he does. That requires oftentimes a conscious decision on our part, because we just kind of waffle through life. Here it's a being applied to, to marriage. It's being applied to marriage. Now Adam, the next thing he does is he appreciates what the Lord has done. He appreciates what the Lord has done. Because he realizes this is a blessing. This, Isha, this is a real deal here. This is a blessing. He realizes that there's been a need of his fulfilled. He may not even have realized it yet, but God did. Not good, man being in his aloneness, literally. And he vocalizes it, and when he, when he does, he's basically offering praise to the designer. He looks at the design. He goes, wow. He, in effect, goes, thank you, Lord, for this amazing blessing. He appreciates what the Lord has done and the point is offer praise when you identify what he has done praising the Lord I've talked to a lot of people over the years I talked to one uh, uh, person long time ago not that many long times ago but a while ago <clears throat> and um, they were wanting to get married and he was a believer and she was an unbeliever and it was one of those things I said I'll go through the counseling with you but I'm not going to do the ceremony I'm not going to do the wedding because she's an avowed unbeliever and he was a believer and I said I can't do the wedding you can go to the judge whatever you want to do but I'll, I'll get you prepared for what's going to happen in marriage I'll take you through my premarital counseling course and about a week before the wedding we talked about it she called me one night one Sunday night and she was driving and she said I looked at the heavens and I said there's got to be a God and she accepted Christ 
So I did the service for him. Yeah, if you just stop and look, you can't miss him. He analyzes what the Lord has done. Okay, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He sees what he made. And he determines the divinely intended design. See, so he analyzes what the Lord has done. So look what he's done. He's recognized it. He's appreciated. He's taken a closer look and analyzed it, what he has done. And the principle is determine the value and use it. Determine the value and use it. So you look and see, you recognize it starts. It starts with, want, do you want to know anything about God? Okay, <clears throat> and here's the design. Man and woman fitting together is a divinely designed schematic. That's what it is. He analyzes. This is what it's about. And he responds. He responds to what the Lord has done. He responds to it. Adam has given the woman an accurate title. What did he do? He decided to name her. What did he name her? Isha. Why? Because she came from the man. Isha is the feminine of Ish. And once again, in the early chapters of Genesis, in chapter 1, it says male and female he created them. So there is a distinction between male and female. And you know, one thing I find, there's no amount of legislation or executive orders or anything anybody can sign that's going to change that. Men are men, women are women, and they ought to compete in their own sports. Now that's just a simple application of that fact. You know, that's scientific. Here's so much stuff about science anymore. That is scientific, isn't it, truly? Different chromosomes that are there, different body parts that are there. Men and women are different. They're made different. They're designed different. doesn't say that one is better than the other. What it does say is that they're made differently. And that's what Adam has seen. So determine what is pleasing to the Lord and do it. Okay, now what's pleasing to the Lord? Husband and wife are supposed to grow together and grow closer together. Determine what's pleasing to the Lord and do it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, We make it our ambition to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, what are we looking for? The judgment seat of Christ. When we stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. To be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable or whether they're worthless. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. So when we stand in front of the Lord at the judgment seat, what's he looking for? Were you actually trying to please him? Some would say, well, that's pretty self-centered. Not after what he did for us. Nothing self-centered about that. Now, <clears throat> his response... Oops, a little too fast. His response is equivalent to wow. Look what the Lord has built. That's his response. This is the time. This is so great. He's looking, he's analyzing. He's going, some parts are added. Some parts are missing. Notice that he has a concept of internal anatomy, bone of my bone. And he is, okay, what happens here? 
The first man can make intellectual collect connections with actions and describe them with vocabulary. And notice that he's stringing together sentences already. So as far as this evolutionary viewpoint of, of um, a bunch of hominids rising up from a primeval soup and eventually re re reaching a human consciousness so that they realize, hey, I'm a human being. It's not the picture we get in the scripture. Not at all. It's tough to allegorize it even to that, to that point. The first man, he can make intellectual connections. He, said, he looks at her and he goes, okay, this is a counterpart. This is a helper. We are different. Just like they're animals, male and female animals. There's differences there. And he's, I suspect he already knew what the differences were for. Because he, if the command to Adam was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he's going to figure out pretty quick that some body parts are made to plant seeds in that other body. So it will reproduce and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It wouldn't be too hard for a man of his intellect, if you will, to figure out. Now God made man to appreciate and respect both the process and the outcome of beauty. Now, I want to I see Eve in the garden before the fall. Because I'll tell you something, she got old. Okay? She started having kids. Okay? We know about a couple of them, three of them. We know that she started having kids, but there were other sons and daughters born to Adam and Eve, is what it tucks away in there neatly and says. So she was... But, Prior to the fall, prior to her first child, she was a knockout. She was perfect, designed perfectly by the Almighty. And I think we'll get it. I think we'll get it. I don't even know if we'll get a picture, maybe even person in her new body or resurrection body when we stand there in heaven. But the beauty that is there, I think kind of built into man is an innate concept of beauty. What's beautiful, what's not beautiful. It's made by God, it's beautiful. Is it not? even the platypus and design if it's made by God there's a design to it it's not chaos you notice he got two legs that go at the bottom part of man two arms up here to help out fingers and toes and, and he got it all in the right place and he looks at her and goes she's got two legs too she doesn't have one arm and one leg sticking out Ever. Everything is perfectly designed. So when you appreciate it, you see that there was a process done. The outcome is beauty and design construction. Now, I've, I've been around construction and done construction uh, for a big part of my life. I was a set of a bricklayer, as you know, so I have a concept of what goes into construction. And, and I can tell you that a lot of buildings, you wonder how they're still standing if the, after they are made. And, um, um, and if you get to talking to Helen, you'll find out that I've had some construction disasters along the way. Nobody's got hurt or killed off of them, but they, they did not accomplish the function that they were originally intended to do. So that becomes a construction design. Construction should meet the function first and then the form should look nice. We should be able to do both of those. But construction, so he looks at the woman and he goes, wow, 
And what does it say? The man, the man was Assad, manufactured, lump of, clump of clay, mashed him all together, made a man. And what did he do with the woman? He built her, that's what it says. The woman was built. She was constructed. So here is Adam, and he's looking at beauty. He's looking at design. He's looking at construction. He's looking at excellence. This is the time. This is the wow. This is God's manufacturing. And I think he's also looking at God's genius. God's genius. What's his genius? It's his plan. His plan is amazingly, uh, it, it's beyond our comprehension of genius. Adam proceeds to name the woman, just like he did the animals, indicating he's embraced his own role and design. <clears throat> See, he put him in there to serve and protect. You know what men are called to do? Serve and protect. Not just the garden, but this creation, right? That God just brought him. That's the role. It's pictured oftentimes by the fact that God took a rib, which is, comes from underneath the, the arm, which is a, points out to the protection that is supposed to go with it. Men are called to serve the, their wife, their uh, family, their neighborhood, but they're also called to protect. Maybe that's got something to do with the Second Amendment. I don't know if you ever connected that together before, but if you're called to protect, what do you start to protect? What's your first responsibility? Your family. Okay. What do we? They didn't have. Obviously, they didn't have AR-15s back in the garden that we know about. But as man becomes more evil, and weapons be, are developed in order to protect them, then. You know, maybe that's not a bad idea to be able to protect your family. That's, that's serve and protect. What's men's design? Serve and protect. Recognition, <clears throat> appreciation, and analysis. We're going to put this back in the context. Are required to properly respond to the principle to cling to your wife. Are they not? It shouldn't really not be that difficult to know what the design is, but in a fallen condition, it's a problem. In a fallen condition, in the last days, men will be lovers of self. They're more interested in themselves than their spouse, quite frequently. And oftentimes, the spouse, the wife, is more interested in herself than the man. Okay? That poses problems. Sin natures pose problems. And to overcome that inertia of going downhill requires energy put into the system. The man is established as the primary authority in the relationship. I say they're both male and female. He created them. They're both equal before the Lord. But they have different roles. See, equal doesn't mean they have the same role the same calling, the same function. They don't do that. Men, women have the authority, they have the role of childbearing. Men are not designed to bear children. So there are differences that are there. But see, the, the final authority is the Lord. Is he not? Because he's the one that set up and established it all. Now, if you don't recognize God, because everything goes back to what is the ultimate cause of all things? Is it God or inanimate matter? What is it? 
What is the ultimate cause of all things? If you don't start with God, you end up in the wrong places. You can't help it. He's the final authority. In a very real sense, he brought the man and the woman together. He's the shepherd of this new relationship. We know Jesus is the chief shepherd. We know him as the good shepherd. We know a lot of things about shepherding. That's where the word pastor comes from. Now, as a, as a shepherd, because he gave man the authority to watch over this relationship. As the shepherd, he is supposed to gently correct and not lord it over. 1 Peter 5, 2 teaches the principle of a pastor to a church, not lording it over those who are allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock, is what it says. He's to use, he's to use wisdom. He's been given that position of leadership, but he's to use wisdom. And uh, God said, if anybody lacks it, ask. James 1, 5. He'll be glad to give it without reproach. He won't look down, you ask for wisdom, and go, you idiot, you should have figured this out yourself. That's not the way God responds. And Philippians 2, 3 tells us the man should not be self-serving because we're supposed to be a model of Messiah to our wife and to our family and to our neighborhood and to our nation. That's what we are supposed to be. <clears throat> now, the first principle is men should appreciate God's design of women. Appreciate their design. Now, what happens when the sin nature gets hold of this? Boy, you can take that one, flip that one around real fast, right? That men, men sometimes ogle the body parts of women. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about appreciating the design of women. They are different. But you don't stop and stare. It does not allow for inappropriate speech concerning body parts either. Some of the things they're trying to do in the workplaces are not all that bad. Some people should have had a little more modesty and watched their voices and watched their words uh, all along. But they didn't. And it does not justify pornography at all. Pornography is all about self. So men should appreciate God's design of women. But there's, some, there's ways to do it. You appreciate what God has done and what he has designed and how he has put it together. And your wife, appreciate her design. Enjoy. And the second principle... His appreciation of God's provision should lead to stewardship. Thus treating her with respect and not abuse. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Uh, Peter writes. He spends six verses talking to the ladies. Okay. And people say, boy, he's picking on them. No, he's saying basically align yourself under your, the authority of your husband so that they may be one without a word, etc., etc. In verse 7, people say, well, he just had one verse for the men, so the women must have been the bigger problem. Look at what he said in verse 7. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. 
okay that means you go out and buy a boat you might consider buying something of equal value for her fellow heir of the grace of life and why does it put on why does it put on the end so that your prayers may not be hindered god is watching what we do and peter recognized recognized that so <clears throat> um, the creature is not designed to be man's slave she's not to be mistreated she's not to be neglected nor is she to be exploited see basically Adam's the king of the world and Eve became his queen she's to be taken care of and treated and honored and, and taken care of with respect she's re to be treated with care because that's what stewardship is about what is to serve and protect right what suddenly turned this into a master-slave relationship back in the garden? Because I'll tell you, and you know, that's the way a lot of people within the church have seen this over the course of centuries, that women were no more than the slaves of the men. That's not the original design. She's to be treated with care and respect because of her designer. Now, would you... Uh, <laughs> kind of like maybe you could use an analogy of a Rolex if you have a Rolex you know I, I don't know if you're just going to be throwing that thing around how about a Ferrari if you had a Ferrari uh, the Ferrari I, I don't know if you leave it parked out in the hail unless you just had more money than you knew what to do with and a total lack of common sense there are some things that you would take care of it has to do with the design she is uh, she has the best brand name when it comes down to it and the sad thing is some men take better care of their things than their wife and that's part of the problem that we have in this nation and around the world now if a woman is not yours then she is still to be treated with respect because she is designed for someone else and it's a simple application of loving your brother love your neighbor as yourself and see if we could instill that in young men growing up instead of trying to get them confused about which bathroom they're supposed to use if we get that instilled in young men growing up then we might have some gentle men come out as a, as a result to treat women with respect why because they may not be your wife but they will probably be someone else's if they were going to be your wife what would you like someone else to do to your wife how would you like them treated and the third principle is that respect is a two-way street Ephesians 5 33 says nevertheless each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband uh, a guy named Egrix did a great study on love and respect uh, done several uh, classes and things like that and now I, I, he, he makes a statement in there I don't it, it's one of these things where there's 95% of the words are all really good, and then there's a couple that just are the bones in the fish. You've got you to gotta take them out and not chew them up. Uh, he says, nowhere in Scripture does, is a man 
is a woman commanded to love her husband? I beg to differ. Where does love one another somehow exclude that relationship? I don't have, I have not seen a good answer on that. Women are to respect their husband. Sometimes he's not worthy of respect, but need to honor the position, honor the, what God has installed and the way that God has set it up. Respect means that she's not to be ordered around like a slave. And this, this requires vocabulary. You know, do you know how easy it is? Maybe you do how easy it is to issue a command instead of, of a request. Well, the Greek does it with imperatives versus subjunctives. They can tell you real quick if it's a command or a request. We just throw them around like take out the trash. Well, that moved it into the realm of command. And our sin nature goes, what are you doing ordering me around? No matter if the trash is piled higher and deeper and needs to be taken out. How about a request? Would you take out the trash? Well, maybe it'll accomplish it. Hopefully it would. But see... Ordering people around puts people in positions that where the defense mechanisms go up and relationships are potentially harmed as a result. If you're in the military, then if it's a suggestion, it's viewed as a command. Okay, But you carry it out because that's what you're called to do and what you're taught to do. But a husband and wife relationship is not a master-slave relationship. It is a bond of love, and that is the way it's to be treated. And maybe this week, for homework, if you will, um, read the book of Proverbs. It's just 31 chapters, a lot of fun to go through and go, what's he talking about this time? And then you look at it and go, did you learn anything, <laughs> Solomon, from what you wrote? <laughs> because Solomon made a whole lot of mistakes, didn't he? He wrote Ecclesiastes to tell us how deep that believers even can descend into evil. And then he finally woke up. And he basically said, vanity, vanity, says the preacher. Without God, nothing means anything. That was the realization after spending 20 years pursuing the lust of his sin nature and having the money to do it. And he comes to the conclusion that following God and obedience to God, that's where it's at. Now, husbands and wives, marriage relationship should be a relationship of respect. A relationship of respect. That's kind of what this little cross is about. It's called the unity cross oftentimes used at weddings in place of the candles that never stay burning and you, you have trouble putting out once they ever get lit and here what you've got running through the minute you have first of all the cross itself and then you have the Lord Jesus Christ the rock on which it is based and then the steel that runs through the middle of it that is the strength that God has designed for the marriage relationship and you know what that's supposed to picture? Our relationship as the bride to the groom, who's Jesus Christ. That's the picture. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and grace, for all you poured out upon us. Thank you for this divine institution. Thank you for giving us 
the guiding principles that go with it for what you're teaching us through your word. Father, may we recognize it. May we recognize when this institution is under attack. And Father, may we be willing to speak out against the attack. Father, may we also live our own lives as examples for the flock. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.